I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with a microphone, and you're listening to The Catherine Zox Show. Joining me today is Will Young, author of The Unlikely Felon, a memoir of ambition, elder care, and jail. Imagine taking care of a loved one, dedicating years of your own life to do it. Thus began a journey that spiraled into a nightmare for Will Young and his wife, Kay. Will's grandparents needed elder care. This ambitious couple decided to take on the responsibility while at the same time raising their own young children and pursuing their entrepreneurial goals. On a cold day in February 2011, there was a knock at the door. This was no courier service delivering a package. This was the police, many of them instantly swarming their home. In mere moments, their lives shattered into a billion pieces. Peppered with humor, Will and Gay's adrenaline-charged and hellish ride through the legal system is the story of people doing their best to help loved ones. It's also about being in jail, literally and figuratively, and how quickly the American dream can become a nightmare. Will Young, a finalist at one time for the Denver Business Journal Philanthropy Day Corporate Citizen of the Year Award, is a dynamic speaker who delivers keynotes around the world. Welcome to the show. Nice to have you on, Will. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for having me. Well, this is quite a story, quite a memoir, I should say. So what happened? Here you are, this couple, you're helping your elders, you're doing good stuff, both you and your your wife. And as I said in the beginning, I don't want to repeat the whole thing, but uh, entrepreneurs, and then all of a sudden, what happens? The police come and you're, you now become felons? Yeah, yeah, it's your, it's it's really your worst nightmare. I always hoped that I would wake up from it, but <laughs> every time I did, it was still there. It was uh, uh, tragic in a lot of ways too. Just, um, but but we survived so far. <laughs> yeah, so far you you are surviving. We're all surviving, I guess. So you continue to survive. <laughs> but what led up to that? What happened? I mean, uh, yeah. Yeah, well, I, I think um, there's there's a couple of assumptions you make in life is that. Uh, and especially when you're younger, you don't realize that we're all we're all going to get older, and we're all going to have to face all of these issues. And for my grandparents, we called them Graham and Gramps, and they were incredible people. We had a great relationship. But as they started, and they were healthy, I mean, very healthy until their mid 80s, late 80s. I know some people uh, don't make it that long until they have health problems. But we had a great relationship, and we took care of them in a lot of ways. You know, we'd come over on the weekends, we'd help them, we'd go to dinner, we would do all these things. And then as it started to transform into to something different, which for me, I had never really dealt with taking care of an elderly person. And, and they were at that same time, the same stage, going through this. And so we. We sacrificed uh, different parts of our life to make sure we were over at their house, uh, sometimes every other day, obviously on the weekends, whenever we could to help them. And then it just progressively gets worse. Um, my grandmother was getting dementia, uh, really never uh, qualified as Alzheimer's, but was going towards that direction. My grandfather was physically uh, deteriorating in front of our eyes. So we did that, and we, we took care of them, and we also took care of the estate. We sold their home. We did all the things that I'm sure a lot of your listeners <clears throat> do according to what they're, they, they're doing the best they can. And we ended up having some financial problems. It was the 2008 market crash and the, you know, the, the uh, financial crisis. And so we thought that we had permission from other family members to use the finances for both my grandparents and myself. And when that knock came on the door, we found out that uh, apparently we didn't. 
So you were taking the finance. Well, you were ha- obviously you're taking care of them. So you're using the monies for to take care of you and to take care of them. So you have to so that everybody would be taken care of. Is that it? Exactly. And then, yeah. Exactly. So, we had an understanding that that's the way it would be. And and so when when the police showed up, it was. And I write about this in the book. But I I thought my my wife had been maybe cheating on me or with somebody and the mob, like all these thoughts go through your mind. And, and she had no idea what was going on. She thought maybe I was doing something weird, illegal businesses, or we just had no idea why these people are at the door. And, and, and we had no idea that it would have anything to do with grandma gramps. So talk about a shock. All right, police show up, and you're both kind of, uh, I don't want to use the word fantasizing, but all these thoughts go through your head, right? What could it be? And and, uh, uh, crazy thoughts, and maybe some not so crazy, but this sounds really crazy. So the police are, are they searching your house? What are they doing? What do they say? Yeah, they don't tell you much. It's it's, uh, uh, similar to, I guess I'd seen it in the movies, my life of crime before this was, I had a, some speeding tickets in an open container in college uh, for alcohol. <laughs> that was that was my my crime life. So I had no idea how this worked. And they handed me a piece of a piece of paper with some bullet points, and it had uh, my grandparents' name on it. And I thought, what is this about? And and so they start searching the home. They start boxing things up, uh, financial records, computers, anything uh, digitally related or or paper related to myself, my wife, or my my grandparents, and. We're sitting there. Actually, they separated us. They put uh, my wife in the kitchen. I'm in the living room sitting on my couch uh, with about three uh, police officers around me. She's in the kitchen uh, with probably three or four. And I, I just, it was almost as if I thought, well, maybe did she kill someone? <laughs> you know, I'm just, I'm, we're separated, so we haven't had no chance to talk. And I'm trying to figure this thing out. And, um, yeah, so talk about just shock and um, it, 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 I don't even know what you call it other than just incredible shock. I watch a lot of crime shows. Uh, one mm. of those people watching them on, especially on Netflix. So they always say, uh, tell me <laughs> if this is accurate when it comes to you, but they're always saying, they ask the question, you are being uh, charged with, you know, murder or robbery or whatever the hell they say, but there's always, uh, they tell you what you're being charged with. Did they? Yeah, that's, that's, it didn't quite work like that. They, on this piece of paper, it had a, a judge had signed it and just said some bullet points of my grandparents with finances, and it really didn't explain a lot. And when I would ask them, they'd say, we'd get to that. And I said, well, are you arresting us? And they said, not yet. And so I, I went to, as you mentioned, seeing in the, the shows and in the movies and everything, I said, I, the only thing I could think of was, can I talk to my lawyer? <laughs> and, and, and they handed me a, a piece of paper and they said, well, why don't you go ahead and sign this? It's, and I, I read it some about basically waiving your Miranda rights. And I said, well, no, 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 I'm not, I'm not going to do that. I, I, I'm going to call my lawyer. Well, the only lawyer I had was a business lawyer who had helped me uh, with, with selling businesses and contracts and things for probably 15 years leading up to that. God, God love Jeff. He's passed away since, but I called him and he, he, he could hear my voice. I said, I said, Jeff, the, the police are here, and I don't know what to do. And he's like, what, what are you talking about? What do you mean the police are here? And he's trying to piece this thing together. And, and he, of course, he says, well, don't say anything. Um, just stay calm. I, I, I said, it has something to do with my grandparents. I don't know quite yet what, uh, what's going on. And he said, 
well, we'll figure this out. I have a defense attorney that I've known for 30 years, and, and we'll figure this out. So he was very calming, thank God to him. But, but yeah, so we're, we're sitting there, and at this point, not sure what to do. Not sure what to do. Uh, this is where the <laughs> story... <laughs> uh, but you do wind up in jail. Yeah, it's, it's a, quite a, a process. And again, not knowing anything about the, the legal system, um, again, other than business contracts and doing business type stuff, I had no idea um, how complicated it gets. And, and we were so blessed that we had, uh, we each had to have separate attorneys, which, which I didn't know that. You, you can't be represented, two people can't be represented by the, the same attorney. And, uh, and so blessed for them. Uh, the gentleman that I had, had was a 35-year veteran in the Colorado market. He had done high-profile cases, and there was quite a bit of media coverage. And you know, that's probably a side note, but and he was really good about just calming us down. And and my wife had a um, a great attorney. She was about 30-year experience. And and it as I looked at this thing, it was like, what if I didn't have these incredible attorneys? What would have happened? But um, they basically said, look, they're they're going to do this investigation. They've searched your house. They feel that you've broken some laws, and they wouldn't search your house if they didn't. I said, that's okay. So they took 18 months. Um, they went around. They interviewed people. They, it was very weird. They tried to build uh, a bigger case. They wanted to see if I was doing illegal businesses or selling drugs or um, anything, which, of course, I wasn't. But they were trying to, uh, I guess, trump up charges is, is the way it was described to me. And in the end, um, we were, it was one charge of theft through this whole thing, one charge of theft. And they went in and arrested us. And that's when the whole uh, media coverage started. We were, after our arrest, uh, the next day, we were the lead story on all the news channels and in the Colorado kind of Mountain West region. And uh, to say it changed our life is, is a big understatement. But yeah, that's, that's how we started the process. And then... Uh, so you do you get tried. Through, I just want to backtrack because they always yeah, say ahead. we don't want to get tried in the media, but I guess one does get tried in the media when it's a high-profile case like yours, right? Uh, I mean, it, it's oh it yeah, was, yeah, absolutely. It sounds like that. So yeah, one gonna, charge. Was, yeah, go ahead. Oh, go ahead. One. So in, it was one charge. What was the charge? What was the charge? One charge of theft. What was it? Theft of uh, um, using my grandparents. Uh, state money is the way it was described one okay. one charge it was very i always thought to this day it was very bizarre um I, I think the reason they did the search and everything is they were trying to look for other charges because as they negotiate some sort of plea bargain of course they say we have 30 charges against you but we'll put this we'll narrow this down to three so instead of going to potentially prison for 50 years you go for one or what whatever it is there there's definitely a, a whole process they use to it well, what do you, was there anybody who was after you? I mean, what started this whole thing? Uh, you know, well, that's who really would, or who started thing, it? Yeah. The step relatives who were involved, so it, they were in another state. Um, we were taking care of the grandparents, and they had given us permission. But the problem was, I didn't have a lot of things in writing, which is. Uh, of course, when I tie, I don't go around the country giving legal advice, but <laughs> well, I'm not a lawyer, but when I tell people, it's like anything you do when it comes to these estates and elderly care, you got to get everything in writing. I, I can't emphasize enough, and I didn't. And so 
as we had used the money, they had some life changes happen. They lost a job. They had uh, some health emergencies and things. And so I think they felt that they wanted to be able to use the money as well. And they, at that point, I think they were kind of targeting us saying, how do we get that money back? I, that, I'm just, and I'm subjectively kind of talking for them. I don't know this for sure, but um, that's what I think was happening. And so their lawyer, as we went to the discovery process, their lawyer had called the police and said, we, we think you know something illegal has gone on here. Since this has happened to you, do you find, because you, as I said in the intro, you know, you travel around the world, you're, you're a public speaker. Do you think this happens or does this happen or how often does it happen? Uh, maybe not as dramatic as what happened to you and winding up in jail, but this kind of thing, especially now as we have an aging population, you're going to have mm-hmm. middle-aged people helping older people and stuff gets merged together and everyone doesn't put everything in writing, as you say, which you need to do. Um, how big a problem do you think this is or will become? Well, and that's what's scary. I think that's the scary part. If you look at the statistics, some of the last couple, I think a couple of months ago, I saw numbers thrown around like 20 million people are going to, 20 million additional people are going to become caregivers in the next 20 years, as you mentioned, with the aging population, better um, pharmaceuticals and devices and things that are obviously going to keep people around longer. We have all of these issues, and it's also a hidden, it's kind of a secretive thing because people don't go to a cocktail party and say, hey, by the way, I'm taking care of my, my, uh, my mother and my brother's uh, child who has a disability. I mean, nobody goes around saying, for the most part, that they're doing all these things, and so there's no support. Um, we thought we were the only ones. I had no idea how many people are, are giving, are participating in caregiving um, until I this happened to me, of course, and started doing research. But yeah, it's and, and I also see people... Um, now, now, we were probably targeted more than others because we were in the public, in a sense. I was going to run for mayor of Denver, um, when all this happened, I was involved and in, I sat on eight or ten nonprofit boards the, the years leading up to this. I was involved in raising millions of dollars for children's charities. Um, I was very involved in the community, and so I think they kind of targeted us that way. But this is probably happening to a lot of people behind closed doors um, where things are not, the T's aren't crossed and the I's aren't dotted. Maybe they can't afford an attorney or they can't afford to get the right wills in place. That's the other thing, too. I'm like, my grandparents' wills were never updated. And so um, they had told me things verbally that, as an example, my grandmother wanted me to fix up and sell the house. Um, I didn't know that a caregiver, you have to have a real estate, um, either an attorney or a realtor involved because your power of attorney, like, and then maybe that's just our state, but there's all these different laws and rules that I had no idea. And so I was making some silly mistakes because of that. And so it does scare me when I talk, when I go around and, and help people, I get feedback from the book and emails and, and social things where people are like, thank you for your book. My family, we just had a, a meeting this last weekend and I used your book as an example that we don't want to have this kind of problem. Yeah. Uh, you know, as I'm listening to you, and I don't know the statistics, but you talk about your grandparents didn't have an updated will. Um, I, I think there's an overwhelming statistic. It, a third or half the people uh, don't even have wills 
uh, at all. Yes. Most people don't even have a will. And by the time they need one, they maybe they have dementia or they're, they're too sick to do it, whatever. So uh, let alone updating the will. So it seems to me this is a huge problem. I mean, this is, uh, but what about the cost of, well, here's another thing. You said, you know, put everything in writing. Do you have to get a lawyer? What, how do you do that? How do, because the average person is not running for mayor of Denver or has all the creds, credentials that you do. I mean, you're out there. Uh, they're just ordinary people and don't have extra money even to get involved in, in uh, writing or rewriting wills. Um, you know, that kind of, so what do you do? Yeah, that's, and, and that's been the tricky part. I mean, there's, I think at this point, there's some good technology online that for a, for a lower price, you can do some things through some of the apps and sites, but even that can cost somebody uh, who who is a, has an average income or below average income um, some struggles there. And, and a lot of times, we're not only talking about money, but we're talking about assets, right? Somebody has a home or a car, or even what's going to happen to them. Um, uh, who's going to take care of them? What if they can't? Uh, function for the they can't answer these questions they can't one of the things that happened is when uh, the the uh, police spoke to my grandparents they were at a point where they couldn't quite answer things correctly so they were they could not be a witness for us and that's the same sort of situation where you have people that are either deteriorating mentally physically maybe both and who knows? We don't know if we don't have that paperwork, those wills in place. We don't know what they want, and if you can't afford it, and, and can you afford to change it every year? They say you should update it every year. Well, a lot of people can't afford to do that. So, <laughs> so yeah. not only you don't have a will, but then you're not updating it as you get older, because obviously your 78-year-old self is going to be a lot different than your 55. So yeah, it's it's it scares me when I when I go around the country. So when you go around the country. And what would you say? I'm going to say, be prepared. Give me three things. What can one do? Yeah, good question. It's a great thing. I think number one is just take a little bit of time and educate yourself on just the whole process of um, a little bit on power of attorney, what it's like to have to take care of somebody. Um, if you can afford it, get the legal advice. Um, although I had spoke to a, an estate attorney early on, a friend of mine, and he said, you know, Will, a lot of times these things are set up not very good on the front end so that when the fights happen, that's when the attorneys make money. Now, he was a little cynical about some of the process. He'd been doing a long time. But if you can afford to get get that advice, maybe from one or two different estate attorneys so that you can understand what's happening. And then third, stay in constant communication. Get, get things in writing, even if it's just an email, even if it's just a one-page Word doc that says, Listen, I'm selling uh, mother's car, and that money is going to go to ABC. But what you know, I'm saying, what, whatever it might be, um, at least even if it's on a napkin, I don't. You know what I mean? Yeah. I'm just, it, it's one of those things where at least you have some sort of trail. Because in our situation, the people that were involved were saying, "I don't remember," or "I didn't say that," or "I didn't agree to that." And in, in the case, a lot of times it was a it was a verbal conversation that we had at dinner. And of course, I didn't, I didn't have them sign it. I didn't have anything, but I could have at least written that down, done an email, and said, "Hey, by the way, can you just reply and say you agree to this?" Yeah. Well, at least, and I think that's a good example. At least today we have the uh, the opportunity. We we have email. You can put it in an email, as you say. At least it's it. it, it uh, and even if a lawyer hasn't seen it, you put it in an email as you described it, and 
uh, it's there. It's on record. The issue. Exactly. You know, I want to sell the car. You didn't answer me. And I said I was going to do it and there was no objection. So, I mean, I'm just playing it. But uh, yeah, uh, put it put it in writing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, absolutely. You, and it, yeah. So now just, I mean, uh, listeners should buy the book, go out and read the book. But what about kind of switching gears a little bit, what happened between you and your wife, your relationship? Because this is a trauma, this is a huge traumatic event that can, <laughs> it, that does the, the impact fact, a relationship. The, yeah. The fact that we stayed married is um, one of the miracles of my, of life. my life. Now, yeah. now, to give you some context, we, we'd been together forever. We were middle school uh, sweethearts. We, we'd known each other forever. And so we had been through a lot of different ups and downs. I talk about the book. We actually had a child when we were 16. We gave her up for adoption. We've actually, she's back in our life. She's very involved in our life now. So um, we had been through so much even before this, as many people do. I mean, everybody has an incredible story, I think, of their life, of what they go through. But she was incredibly, to this day, an incredibly loving, giving. Um, she was my grandparents' caregiver much, a lot more than I was as far as the time and commitment. She was just an incredible person. And as we went through this, I felt so much guilt, so much um, frustration because I had involved her into this that I felt like I hadn't, again, not getting things properly signed and properly set up. I had dragged her into this. And um, the only thing I can say is that as I went through and I, I did I went to jail, I had work release. Um, thank God I didn't have to go to prison, but I had uh, work release, which is a very interesting thing. But she uh, she stood by me through all of it. In fact, and I changed too. I think as I went through this process, I became. Um, in fact, I'll give you a story. I was I'm sitting in work release, and I believe it was my first night there, and, and um, there was an exit sign. And I was looking up at the exit sign. Now, these, when you're set up in, the, you're almost like a college dorm. They're set up in what they call caves, and they have bunk beds, and um, it's it's very interesting. It's not like your traditional uh, what you see in the movies of a jail cell. But anyways, I'm looking over at this sign, and I said to myself, when I get done with this, um, which was supposed to be six months, I did three months because they have something called good time. But I said, when I'm done with this, I'm going to be the best father, the best husband, the best person I could ever be. And so it changed me so much. And I think because of that, she was willing to uh, stand by me. And we, to this day, have an incredible marriage and relationship. And people have asked me about it. And I'll say, well, if you can go through what we went through and you're still together, I don't know how much, I mean, there are things that are worse, but not too many. (laughs) There aren't a lot. (laughs) Yeah. But your family, I mean, you described you've been together since middle school. So, I mean, you've been together the whole lifetime, actually, right? And Mm -hmm. uh, you don't leave your family, I guess. Um, That's quite a story. So, (laughs) we only have a few minutes left. So, yeah, yeah. tell us where we can get your book and follow you. I mean, I, as I said in the beginning, you're around the world. You're talking, I assume, all over the United States. Or where do you go, and and uh, where can we listen to you? Yeah, uh, um, especially if it's a topic related to, obviously, elderly uh, caregiving and elderly care. Um, I talk a lot about the state of entrepreneurialism in, the, in our country and how um, that's kind of become a misguided uh, nomer of, of uh wealth and, and failure and things of 
different natures. But yeah, I think one of the most important things too for me is that you can come back. I talk a lot about making a comeback. And I think that there are so many people in our country right now uh, who who need a comeback. They need, uh, whether it's they're exhausted um, emotionally, whether their finances are struggling. I mean, you you've, were, were a social uh, worker. You've, you've dealt with all these different problems. You know what happens out there. And, and for me, I wrote the book. I wanted to write uh, something that was obviously entertaining, which that's the feedback I've received is that people like that it's, it's kind of a whodunit, even though you know whodunit. <laughs> but it's it's written in, in that way. But I also wanted to, to guide people that, listen, no matter what's happening, you can come back from it. There are ways to to make changes. There are things that you can do to, to get your life back on track. And um, And that's really kind of maybe my biggest goal with it is how do I um, – take something that was embarrassing for me, frustrating, horrifying, and scary, and how do I make it something good? And and to this day, I know if, if Graham and Gramps were were standing here listening to this phone call, they would they would say, Will, well done. You you, you did a good job. You you as grandma would say, you take the lemons and you make the lemonade. So that was she had a lot of the cliche things back in the day, but um that's what she would say and she'd say, You did it. So and you did do it. And I, I thank you so much. for I just the book, uh, the website for the book is unlikelyfelon.com, right? Is that? Yes. And yeah. And you can get on Amazon. There's lots of uh, reviews and, and you can pick up, of course, the, the digital or the, the, um, um, audible. Soft, yeah, thank you. Uh, not audible yet. Um, oh, okay. the process there, but, uh, you can get the print version or of course the digital and, and lots of good feedback and, and, um, if you do get a chance out there, to, if somebody's reading it, please give me your feedback. What what did you like about it? What didn't you like about it? How did it help you, especially when it comes to all these issues of elderly care and, and life choices? Great. Will Young, thanks so much for being on the show today. Author of The Unlikely Felon, A Memoir of Ambition, Elder Care, and Jail. We really appreciate really appreciate your time. Thanks. Thank, thank you so much. Have a great day. I really appreciate it. I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with a microphone, and you've been listening to The Catherine Zox Show. 